0: CHAPTER V OF JACOB'S LADDER BY E. PHILLIPS OPPENHEIM. THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. JACOB, IN THE MIDST OF THOSE PLEASANT ACTIVITIES, NECESSITATED BY HIS CHANGE OF FORTUNES, FOUND TIME TO WRITE A LETTER. HE WROTE IT WITH GREAT CARE, AND AFTER MANY REVISIONS, AND NOT UNTIL AFTER IT WAS DISPATCHED DID HE REALIZE WITH HOW MUCH ANXIETY HE awaited THE REPLY. THE COTTAGE AT Marlingdon, Dear Miss Biltiwell, I am venturing to write these few lines to assure you of my very deep sympathy with you in the loss which you have sustained, and I beg also to express the earnest hope that you will not associate me in any way with those misfortunes of your father which I was powerless to avert or lighten. I have a further object in writing to you which I hesitate to touch upon for fear that I should give you offence, but I do beg, Miss Bultiwell, that you will accept my offer in a kind and generous spirit, and believe that it is entirely dictated by feelings of friendship for you. I gather that your father's affairs are so much involved that a considerable interval may elapse before any substantial sum can be collected from his estate for the benefit of yourself and your mother. I beg, therefore, as a person, in whose hands great wealth has come quite unexpectedly that you will if it is the slightest convenience to you permit me to offer to make any advance necessary for your comfort at a word from you it will give me the greatest pleasure to place a thousand pounds or any such sum in any bank you may name for your use until the estate is wound up if i have expressed myself crudely please forgive me miss bultiwell I have a sincere desire to be of service to you, and I would like very much to be able to sign myself your friend Jacob Pratt. The reply came by return of post. It was dated from the late Mr. Bultiwell's house, a few miles further down the line than Marlingen. Dear Mr. Pratt, the offer contained in your letter which I received this morning may possibly have been kindly meant, but I wish you to know, that I consider it an insult. My father took his life after an interview with you, during which I understand that you rejected a business proposition of his in terms which I cannot help suspecting from your attitude while I was present were unnecessarily brutal. Under those circumstances, you can scarcely wonder that I, his daughter, feel the greatest resentment at your offer and decline without the slightest hesitation your proposal of friendship." Yours truly, Sybil Bultiwell. Jacob read the letter as he sat out amongst his roses, with the engine of his motor-car purring in the street waiting to take him to town. For a few moments all the joy of his new prosperity seemed to slip away from him. The perfume of his cherished flowers lost its sweetness. The pleasant view of the spreading meadows with their background of blue, dim hills faded from before his eyes. He remembered the girl's face as he had first seen and afterwards dreamed of it. The eyes shining with kindliness, the proud lips smiling in encouragement, her tone purposely softened, leading him on to talk about himself, his pleasant hobbies, his dawning ambitions. And then again he thought of her as she must have looked when she sat down to write that letter, amidst the discomfort of a dismantled home, embittered and saddened by the sordid approach of ignominious poverty. He shivered a little and looked up as Dauncey approached. I almost wish, he declared, that I had bought that old swindler's business. It wouldn't have cost me a tenth part of what I'm worth. ''Has the girl been unkind?'' his friend asked. Jacob showed him the letter. ''She's not generous,'' was Dauncey's comment as he returned it. ''She's loyal at any rate,'' Jacob replied. Dauncey's face suddenly softened. His wife was leaning over the gate, waving her hand. His eyes watched her retreating figure until she disappeared. ''Somehow or other,'' he ventured a little hesitatingly, as he turned back to Jacob. ''I can't help thinking that the tone of that letter isn't altogether womanly. She must know the truth about her father's position. It doesn't seem fair to blame you for your perfectly reasonable attitude.'' "'Why, even you thought I was hard at the time,' Jacob reminded him. "'You were hard, but you were just, and your offer to the young lady and her mother should certainly have evoked some feeling of gratitude. I don't like a woman to be too independent.' "'You've never seen her,' Jacob groaned. "'Not to speak to, but I've seen her once or twice on the platform with her father. She is very good-looking, of course,' Dauncey continued, hesitatingly. "'Although she always reminded me, of one of the conventional pictures of the birth or purse-proud young woman which adorned the illustrated papers. You've never seen her smile, Jacob said gloomily as he rose to his feet. However, she may get more reasonable after the first shock has passed away. Time we started for the city, huh, Dick? They motored through the old-fashioned villages and along the quiet country lanes toward where the wide-flung arms of the great city crept out like tentacles of hideous brick and mortar to gather in her children this morning ride was to both of them a never-ending source of delight jacob especially had the air of a schoolboy when he remembered the punctual train his punctual appearance at the dingy warehouse in bermondsey street his inevitable sallying forth half an hour later with a list of names in his pocket a few samples of leather in his bag and the stock phrases of the market packed into his head by the never-satisfied Mr. Smith. A free man, Dickie observed, taking his cigar from his mouth and drawing a long, deep breath of content. A free man at thirty-four years of age. It's wonderful. If it only lasts, Dauncey muttered with a touch of his old pessimism. You can cut that out, old fellow, Jacob insisted firmly. I gave Pedler... A cheque for 38,000 pounds yesterday, and that left me 55,000 of the original 100,000. Since then, I have received bonds to the registered par value of 400,000 pounds, which are being sold today in New York at eight times their par value. Then, there was a quarterly dividend cheque yesterday for 9,000 pounds. You'll admit the money's there. Can't deny the facts, Dauncey agreed with returning cheerfulness. As regards your personal position, Jacob went on, I made my will yesterday, and I left you five hundred a year. Jacob! Jacob patted his friend on the shoulder. I've only told you this, old chap, he went on, because I want you to lift up your head when you walk, remember? That you owe nobody anything, and that, whatever measure of bad luck you may have, you are outside all risk of financial trouble for the rest of your life. It's a wonderful feeling, that, Dick. Half the men you meet in life admit that they have their fits of depression, their dark days, their anxieties. If you analyze these, you will find that nearly every one of them is financial. The man who is free from all financial cares for himself and his family should walk about with a song on his lips the whole of the day. You and I are in that position, Dick, and don't let us forget it. Dauncey drew in a deep breath of realization, and his face, for a moment, glowed. "'Jacob,' he confided, "'I don't feel that I could ever be unhappy again. "'I have what I always dreamed of, "'Nora and the kids, and freedom from anxiety. "'But you? Where will life lead you? I wonder. "'I have reached the summit of my ambitions. "'I am giddy with the pleasure of it. "'But you? It would be horrible if you, with all your money, "'were to miss happiness.' Jacob smiled confidently. "'My dear Dick,' he said, "'I'm happy, not because I have twelve suits of clothes "'coming from Seville Road today, "'not because of this Rolls-Royce car, "'my little flat at the Milam Court, "'my cottage at Marlingdon, "'and with Harris there for gardener now, "'and Mrs. Harris with not a worry in the world "'except how to make me comfortable. "'I am happy not because of all these things, "'but because you and I together are going to test life. "'I have the master key,' to the locked chambers. I am ready for adventure. I have about as much imagination as an owl, Dauncey sighed. Jacob's eyes were fixed upon the haze which hung over the city. When I speak of adventure, he went on, I do not mean the adventures of romance. I mean rather the adventures of the pavement. Human beings interest me, Dick. I like to see them come and go, study their purposes, analyze their motives, help them If they deserve help, stand in their way if they seek evil. These are the day-by-day adventures possible to the man who is free from care and who mixes without hindrance with his fellows." I begin to understand, Dauncey admitted, but I still don't quite see by what means you are sure of coming into touch with interesting people. Jacob knocked the ash from his cigar. Dicky said, with a twinkle in his eyes. You are a very superficial student of humanity. A story such as mine attracts the imagination of the public. Every greedy adventurer in the world believes that the person who has acquired wealth without individual effort is an easy prey. I expect to derive a certain amount of amusement from those who read of my good fortune and seek to profit by it. That is why I have no objections in telling my story to the reporters why I let them take my photograph, why I gave them all the information they wanted about the payment of my creditors in full and my sudden wealth. All that we need now is the little West End office which I am going to take within the next few days, and a brass plate upon the door. The fly will then sit still and await the marauding spiders. Dauncey smiled with all the enthusiasm of his newfound sense of humor. Five hundred a year, he murmured, to be a henchman to a bluebottle. End of chapter 5